Welcome to the Chronically Real Podcast. Real life, real talk. I'm your host, CMT Strong, and I'm hanging out with DO3 and our third co-host, Charlie. What's yes, up, Charlie? The star of the show. Say something wise, Charlie. Rough. <laughs> <laughs> our dog needs to be in here when we're recording, or else he freaks out. Starts licking the doors. What a weirdo. When we leave the house, he's jumping on things, he's laying on the couch, and he jumps off the couch and runs into the bedroom like he did something wrong. You probably did. <laughs> like just uh, remember yesterday, or maybe it was a few days ago, I was telling you how she was like buried in all those pillows we have in our couch, and he looked up at me like at a weird angle, like he was twisting his neck like a giraffe. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> He's like, huh? <laughs> Charlie knows that I don't like it when he wipes his butt all over the floor after he unloads outside. He does that. Okay, he's got to wipe somehow. And he knows that I know he's doing it. That's what I, at least what I think. And he knows what I know, what I don't know. <laughs> so he's doing it in front of me. And I said, hey. And he goes to your doorway to your room because that's where he hides out when I'm disappointed in his behavior. Just, like, pokes his head out. Pokes yeah. his head out. But before he goes into your room, he wipes his butt on the floor, almost like throwing it in my face before I go hide under the bed. I just want <laughs> you to know, here you go. <laughs> nah, what a little brat. We love him, though. He's okay. Yeah. Spoiled dog. Expensive. Uh-huh. What we're going to talk about today is the second part of Formula for Change. If you haven't heard the first part, I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. Before I go into the last remaining steps that seems to me to happen to an individual when they make a complete transformation... I want to backtrack a little bit and talk about what needs to occur before they engage in these steps. They need to make a choice. A naked choice. Well, what do I mean by that? There has to be an unreflective stripping away of societal forms, cultural, religious viewpoints, philosophies, whatever those may be. Strip those away in order to make a decision. A lot of times what individuals are faced with, ideas about how you're supposed to engage in exercise or nutrition. Family members may have their opinions about how you should approach your nutrition or your exercise. You may get some resistance at work. Maybe people have a habit of eating a lot of sweets at work. There's so many things that act as rules of society, at least modern society, I believe, because most people don't want to change in regards to exercise and nutrition. There's so many things in the way. It's because everybody has their their rules, right? Society has their rules. So those have to be peeled away so that somebody can make a bare, stripped, naked choice 
then they can engage in these steps. Or it's what I've noticed takes place in my experience. So you need to put everything else to the side to focus on what's absolutely necessary. Uh-huh. It's like what you said earlier about the sweets. I mean, there's a $2 giant cookie at work. I, It's really good. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. But sometimes you have to push that to the side if you want to achieve a goal. Mm-hmm. And it's not that that's wrong to eat the cookie. It seems to be a societal rule, an extreme interpretation or opinion Sweets are bad. Acts as a resistance in our mind instead of knowing or understanding the truth. If we can put that aside, if we can strip away all societal forms, philosophical forms, opinions, dig deep within ourselves and make a decision to learn a discipline or to change our lives, then we can engage in that first step, which is information gathering, where we start to learn that, okay, maybe sweets are okay. I don't know, man. If my bank account allowed me, I'll be having like 20 a day. After this choice is made, a real genuine choice to change. I've noticed a person engage in learning. They gather information. They look to individuals who have been successful. Real examples. They gain confidence and it leads them to a greater participation in the discipline. The next thing that needs to happen, they have a conscience recognition of the necessity to change. They become dissatisfied. They have a change of mind about the actions that they've taken in the past, which led to the dissatisfaction. A regret for what somebody omitted to do. Why is that important to grasp? Because omission is a form of a lie. Omission is a lie. Can you give me an example? We'll say at work or something. Somebody tripped over something. Like physically or like mentally? Physically. Oh, okay. You left that two by four in the middle of the aisle, but nobody know you did. Oh, yeah, okay. So when you're questioned about it, you simply discuss or talk about what happened and you leave out the fact that you were the one responsible for leaving that two by four there. I see. Nobody knows, but you omitted it the cameras know you left that part of the story out and it's a lie it's a form of a lie just like most history because on the surface right you're telling your boss the truth this individual was walking in this direction they stumbled across this two by four they fell on the ground and hurt themselves but you left it there and not saying that you left it there is a lie it's omission they recognize that They've been lying to themselves, at least when it comes to exercise and nutrition. They begin to mentally grasp the need to change, to do something different. There's a care within themselves. There's an interest in change, which leads to the next step, making a U-turn. It's a 180-degree turn. They turn to a healthy lifestyle from an unhealthy lifestyle. There's this conscience recognition demonstrated by a halt. The brakes are on and they come to a complete stop, which leads into the next step, genuine commitment or a real dedication to their discipline. Well, how is that demonstrated? You notice that people start setting aside time even at the expense of other things. 
It's expressive in the way they talk, the way they behave. It's noticeable in public. Also in their private lives, too. Their families, their children start to notice the change. Their actions speak loudly. The individual is focused on their health. It seems to be in harmony with a promise they made to themselves. All these steps are constantly happening. You can always be learning. We have to recommit sometimes, rededicate ourselves. This is me trying to give some kind of structure to something that's really all over the place. So you're trying to add order to the chaos? To try to give order to everything leads to burnout, in my opinion. <laughs> Balance isn't so fun. <laughs> There's a lot more to it, too. Let's transition into a point that I'm learning from a book. I'm reading a book by Ernest Becker entitled The Denial of Death. Notice what he says. Life can suck one up. I wonder if that term or the expression life sucks came from this. Hmm. Life can suck one up, sap his energies, submerge him, take away his self-control give so much new experience so quickly that he will burst, make him stick out among others, emerge onto dangerous ground, load him up with new responsibilities which need great strength to bear, expose him to new contingencies, new chances. Above all, there is the danger of a slip-up, an accident, a chance disease, and of course death the final sucking up, the total submergence and negation. No wonder why individuals have a hard time living life to the fullest is because it's hard. Oh, yeah. Especially if, if you have some stupid little disease. It gets very annoying. Like going to the grocery store is no fun. Getting gas is no fun. Going to work is no fun. But Getting out of bed... It's one of those things. It just sucks, but you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Dude, going to the restroom after leg day sucks. <laughs> no bonus fries at the bottom of the bag. That sucks. That does suck. I think that's a cardinal sin. We got a relevant video clip this week. Go ahead, DO3. Tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, then go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. Wow, I remember that scene. It's true. I don't even think I was alive yet. No, that's Rocky Six. You were alive. Was I? Yeah. But was I alive? Hmm, the tree <laughs> falls in the forest. Does it make a sound yes. if no one's there? Am I there if I am really there? Is there really a tree if no one's around? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how all these philosophers pose these weird questions that get you to think. That's the problem I have with these so-called 
positive thinkers, talking about the positivity of life. Yeah, but how do you get to positivity? Nobody teaches how to get the fullest you can out of life. And then there's always that thing that would say, you should always be positive. But I tell you what, when my hand gives out and I drop my phone, (laughs) I'm about to lose it. At least it didn't break trying to have this optimistic viewpoint of everything. It's tiring. This is my opinion. These gurus who, who preach the prosperity gospel, these entrepreneurs that preach the success gospel, they're saying what you have to do. Mm-hmm. They're never teaching you how to do it. Yeah. It's rooted in some kind of self-help doctrine with no really true psychological basis for what they're saying. Yeah, It's so annoying. You see that on Instagram with personal trainers, health coaches saying consistency is key okay again what is consistency and how have you demonstrated that in your life give me something meaningful i can grab instead of your half naked body telling me i have to be consistent yeah because it has to start somewhere i think with us it started with just eating healthier Uh uh-huh and then we started going to the gym a bit more. Then we started getting a bit more excessive. We started increasing weight mm-hmm. uh, sets and all that mm-hmm. type of good stuff. I believe consistency comes out of doing it. And there's so many other variables involved instead of just the one-liner and you working out with hardly any clothes on. Yeah. Like that, <laughs> remember that one guy the other day? Mm. He like came out of the locker room shirtless. And he just threw a medicine ball up. He did it only like two or three times. And then he walked out with no shirt on. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Mm-hmm. It's a medicine ball. I imagine it was pretty heavy, but why? <laughs> I asked myself the same question. Isn't the gym a fun place? It is. You get to meet all sorts of people. <laughs> the older guy that tells you he used to bench 500 pounds back in the day. The shirtless mm-hmm. guy that throws things. Interesting place. It's like a zoo. The guy in his underwear working out. Yeah, that was intense. (laughs) What a man. If it isn't meaningful, why are you doing it? Yeah. As human beings, when we see an individual behaving in a certain way, when we see an object, one of the first things we do, if not the first thing we do, is ask ourselves, what does it mean? (laughs) We're judging. The numbers, what do they mean? Yeah. Our experience, we're deciding. We're judging whether this is true, righteous, immoral, sound. We're taking that experience and seeing whether we want to incorporate that into ourselves. Yes. In the sequence of zeros and ones, can you find the hidden two? (laughs) And when I see a woman on Instagram posing in front of the mirror looking quite beautiful. Yes. 
I'm trying to be respectful here. Yes. I'm not saying to myself, geez, I want to be disciplined and consistent today. That's not what that means to me. I look at that and I'm on, wow, that's an attractive woman. She's beautiful. And I leave it at that. I, my, my natural manliness reacts to what I'm seeing. Yes. My testosterone is guiding yeah. my thoughts in this particular situation. When I read the caption, I, I give them the benefit of the doubt of reading the caption. Sometimes it's a one-liner like, chase your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, what is that? I could tell you what I might be dreaming if I continue to dwell on your photograph. Yes. <laughs> the internet's an interesting place. Yeah. Or what about the, if I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> Uh, that's just like so many different variables and that it's kind of cocky as well because you're somewhat lowering yourself but you're also putting yourself on a pedestal it's kind of a weird thing and if you are one of these fitness gurus or individual who owns a company trying to help people i know you're trying to be inspiring you're trying to get people's attention but that doesn't work instead of asking how can i draw attention to my success or how can I sell my services? How can I get people to buy my products? Ask yourself, how can I make this meaningful? How can I make my knowledge that I have about exercise and fitness and nutrition, how can I make this meaningful to people? Yeah, because all these social media social medias have ads now. Don't add another one to it. Be unique, authentic. Meme of the week. You're obsessed with your illness. It has somebody with a surprised face saying, yeah, it's like it impacts every part of my life. Yeah, that's so dumb. <laughs> like, you're not really obsessed with it. You just have to live with it. And that's kind of becomes your, uh, it kind of shapes your mind. A little bit because you have to work around it. Mm -hmm. So you're not trying to be excessive. It's just, it is what it is. Isn't obsession where you put yourself deliberately into a situation? Yeah. And you're consumed with it? Yeah. Like when I put myself in front of my PlayStation, I mean, that's probably a bit of an exception. Chronic illness is not something I would deliberately want to talk about all the time or want in my life. Yeah. It's not exactly fun. Like picture this image in your head, your hands over a fire, but at the same time, there's needles going into your, your hands. Mm. It's not a fun feeling, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but just like I said earlier, it is what it is. You can choose the healthy and exercise, which would probably help it a lot better, but it's still there. Yep. It's a chronic condition. It's not going away. Mm -hmm. That's why I have an issue with people saying everything happens for a reason. It's God's plan. Along those lines, that would be a final cause approach. I don't imagine God would want you to have an illness. No. 
It's God's blessing for you to bless other people. It's like, but why? God has a big plan for you. So God of love, or is love, according to the Bible, wants me to be in pain. I don't believe that. What if you take the other approach, an efficient cause approach, meaning that me, the individual, I'm somehow responsible for my chronic illness? Yeah, how dare I be born out of uh, none of my will, but my parents' will. So I'm the reason. I have a chronic illness. I'm responsible for that. I don't think individuals really know what they're saying Yeah. when they're saying everything happens for a reason. Yeah, but these two hands want to come in contact with something and that happens for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an efficient cause because you, the agent, caused that conflict. Yeah, I heard if you get one now, you get another one for free. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what weird fact do we got this week? Okay, so there's this famous uh, producer. His name is Alfred uh, Hitchcock. Heard of him. Cool. So just in case, a little backstory about him is that some of his most famous films, including Psycho, 1960, The Birds, 1963, and Marina, 1964. His works became renowned for their depictions of violence, although many of his plots merely function as decoys meant to serve as a tool for understanding complex psychological characters so here's the fact about him since you know who's really good at making suspenseful movies you would think you wouldn't have any really weird phobias mm -hmm. but that's where the twist comes in mm -hmm. so alfred hitchcock was frightened of eggs <laughs> eggs i have those for breakfast so the master are you scared of them I mean, sometimes this show kind of cuts my fingers. That doesn't feel too good. I mean, it came out of a chicken's butt. Yeah, but I imagine we make far worse things. <laughs> <laughs> so, the master of suspense was terif who terrified audiences with movies like Psycho and the Birds and shit himself an oeophobe, someone frightened of eggs. Alfred Hitchcock explained in an interview in 1963, I'm frightened of eggs. Worse than frightened. They revolt me. That white round thing without any holes. And when you break it inside, there's that yellow thing. Round without any holes. Blood is jolly. Red. But egg oak is yellow. Revolting. I've never tasted it. Dude. Hmm. What a crazy dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it's a philbio, so he doesn't really have control of it. Hmm. But that's one heck of a unique phobia to have. That is a unique phobia to have. You know, I, I was reading or another weird fact, but not really. There's this condition where someone who's frightened of super long words, you know, like photosynthesis or something. Like oh, my that. God. Yeah, exactly. So the way they wrote the word, it takes up almost like 20 characters. That's almost the entire English alphabet. Yeah. And they use that word as someone who's scared of long words as a phobia. So you can't even technically read what your phobia is without you freaking out. So you don't even you so you never know what you're frightened of. And I can't even know I don't even know what it would, remember what it was called because it's such a big word. I mean I don't think I'm that smart, but that's a very long word to try to pronounce. Jordan Peterson was talking about this. I saw a video of him the other day where he was 
he was sharing a clinical experience of a woman he was treating who was afraid of elevators. Scared of elevators? Yeah. I heard they go up and down. They do. Even the thought of the doors opening just was shocking to her. So what he did in the clinical setting started exposing her to images of elevators. Slowly, the doors open, the doors not open. And over time, as her response to those images were less shocking, he physically took her to an elevator just to look at it and then left. Another time the doors open, left. Okay, we're going to go to the door and just look around and then left. Took her another time and they took a tour of the elevator left and eventually she was able to get in and get to the point of using the elevator. Eventually she got over it. I thought that was an interesting approach. He talked about what it was, psychological terminology that has to do with what was going on there but i thought it was a great way to treat that in my opinion yeah because you don't really think how much an elevator actually impacts your life until you get to a very big building (laughs) with lots of stairs yeah and with this uh, neuropathy that ain't happening no it's not happening that was a great show today we got off on a little bit of a tangent in some areas but i think we're gonna do that more and i think it's okay to do that you just got to believe that it's okay. To not be so structured and serious. Yeah, you don't always need to have controlled chaos. I know. I need to work on that. Thank you for joining us today. Make sure you follow us at CMT Strong on Instagram. Send us an email if you have something interesting, good backstory, inspiring at the chronically real podcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.